2014 uh, was when Meb won the Boston Marathon the year after the bombing. We were at the beach for Easter. That was Easter weekend. And that day was the Boston Marathon. It was on TV. We were watching it that morning from our condo. And I remember sitting there saying, I'm going to run that race one day. I'm going to run that race one day. And from there on, it's been like just a dream to, to just to just get to Boston. And obviously, I was able to eventually do that. But just looking back at how, how far I've come in that journey and, and watching that 2014 race, thinking at that time, I'm going to get there, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. It, it's just really cool to come full circle like that. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 82 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. After gorging himself at a dinner eight years ago with his wife, Jeremy Bush didn't like how it made him feel and knew something had to change. He downloaded a Couch to 5K program and couldn't believe that running for only 30 seconds could feel so hard. But JB stayed with it and worked his way up to 10 minutes of running. Jeremy watched Meb's historic win at Boston in 2014 and said, one day I'm going to run that race. And the die was cast. For those who know him best, when he sets his mind on a goal, he will move heaven and earth to get it done. Many small incremental changes led to continuous improvement. Becoming a student of the sport, honing his craft, listening to the Running Road podcast with Steve Sisson and Chris McClung, joining the Renegades, a virtual training group, working with a community of like-minded individuals, then working one-on-one the past two years with Coach Steve Sisson, a.k.a. the Sorcerer of Telos Running, to further enhance his development, culminating with a 2.47 PR on Marathon Monday at Boston. Jeremy truly manifests his Boston dream. He's made amazing progress in his eight-year running journey, and I'm stoked to see where he takes things next. Hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did, so let's dive on in and take a listen. Jeremy Bush, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How you doing, brother? Doing awesome. So great to be here. Pumped, excited. Yeah, man. How was the trip back, man? How was the duck boat tour at the family? When I last saw you, you guys are getting ready to load up and hit the duck boat tour, right? The duck boat tour was extremely cold. So it was um it was not the best with the wind and the and the cold temperatures, but it was it was fun. It was an experience. So <laughs> so now we're back in warm North Carolina. So well, you got to take that for the team, though, brother. I mean, come on, the yeah, whole exactly. the whole fam is up there supporting your running endeavor, putting it all on the <laughs> line for you to go rock a Boston PR. So, man, you got to you got to do something for the team. So that's a, a minor one. I think you guys did you guys did a Red Sox game too, no? Oh yeah, Red Sox game Sunday afternoon. It was great. It was cold also, but it was a lot of fun. So um, always fun to be at Fenway Park seeing the Red Sox, especially on Marathon Weekend. Awesome, man. Well, for everybody at home, Jeremy. Just rocked a 247.45 of Boston. Big time PR for him. And uh, we got to hang uh, quite a bit up in Boston. So uh, we've been uh, threatening to get him on the show for a while now, man. But he finally broke down since he uh, came through with the big PR. 
And uh, I'm excited, man. We almost did it up in Boston, but we we're both too tired, man. We needed to recharge our batteries a little, get some energy for the show. So uh, everything was good on the flight home. Everything was smooth. Awesome. It was great. Everything went perfectly. So it was nice. Great trip. Great weekend. Everything was just smooth the entire time. Awesome, man. So how about you give a little intro for the Run Chats audience on where you grew up, what family life was like a little in North Carolina. Just give everybody a little background on yourself, Jeremy. Yeah, well, I kind of grew up in North Carolina. I've been here my entire life. I have two siblings. Um, my parents were school teachers. My dad was actually um, a school administrator. We grew up in, in Christian schools in North Carolina. Um, so we were always in pretty small Christian schools. I uh, got to play some sports. That was an advantage of it. We always made the varsity team because there, there weren't a lot of kids. But um, but I wouldn't trade the way I grew up for anything. But um, it was definitely a unique experience, not one that many people um, get to have, but it was great for me. And, uh, again, uh, it was just, I, I had a great upbringing, so it was fun. Wonderful. And you have two siblings. So where do you fall in the birth order? I am the oldest. So I have a younger sister and a younger brother. So, all right. um, and one of the cool things is, uh, we've all, all of my siblings have run multiple marathons. So that's pretty cool. I feel like I got my siblings into running marathons and They've both done marathons. So I told my mom all the time, there's not many moms that can say I have three siblings or three children who have all run multiple marathons. So it's pretty cool. I love it. And you're the oldest, man. You got to set the tempo. You got to set the pace. Exactly. I mean, that's the way it was in my family. My older brother was awesome. And uh, he was kind of a surrogate dad. I mean, I had a dad, a great dad. He just wasn't with us all that much after we got divorced. So my older brother was kind of like my uh, father figure in many ways, only two years older than me, but he was a great athlete, you know, really smart in school. So my younger brother and I just kind of followed along whatever he was doing. We were kind of following along, figuring it was a good plan. So you were the oldest, you have two below you. Now, as far as things went, were you guys competitive with each other? What's family life, you know, at the Bush family as kids growing up, were you guys competitive at stuff? How did it work? Well, we weren't really, my brother and I are five, almost five years apart, so we weren't really competitive, and obviously I wasn't going to be competitive with my sister. We, we, we did a lot of more aggravating each other than competing with each other, so that was always fun. A lot of picking, a lot of aggravating, a lot of getting mad, and you know, just the way that siblings do. So it wasn't necessarily a competitive atmosphere, just an aggravating atmosphere. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, we all know how to push each other's buttons in in uh, small quarters and small spaces for sure. Was anybody flipping a Monopoly board over on game night or you guys weren't, weren't into that kind of stuff? Oh, we were into that kind of stuff. So definitely we would get mad at each other, upset with each other over silly stuff like that. But um, it always came back around. I had a great, my brother and my sister, we still get along great. My family, my mom and dad. So we have we have a great family life and have great relationships to this day. So Love it. Now, do they have dreams of trying to take down your marathon PR or is it just they've no, given they up don't. at this point and said, <laughs> JB is the runner in our family. We're not going to catch him. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of where they are. So I've tried to help my brother and my sister both kind of get along, get get into kind of a plan to achieve some of the goals they've had. My sister's kind of a finisher. She likes to finish marathons, gets a t-shirt in the medal. My brother, um, he had a sub four goal. He was able to achieve on a second marathon. Um, so I've tried to inspire them to do a little bit more, but, but they kind of do things at their own pace. So, um, my brother was actually trying to get in New York city this fall and he was going to kind of gear up and train for that, but, um, he didn't get in. So he's, he's fine with that. He'll probably run something. He's kind of a, a, a marathon runner when he kind of wants to. And he's one of these guys who running's not part of his everyday life, but if he has a race, he'll gear up for it. Got it. 
Hey, that's good, man. You're all going to do your own things. Uh, and as long as you all get along, no matter how many years you're spaced apart, it's all good. What about mom and dad? Were they athletes? Obviously, you have some skills. You're a runner and you played all kinds of sports as a kid. Uh, were they athletic, mom and dad? Uh, unbelievably, my dad was not athletic whatsoever. My mom uh, was more into the music side. She's a great piano player. Um, her brothers were all athletic. Um, they were you know, star athletes in high school, things like that. Um, so I feel like I get a lot of athleticism from my mom's side of the family. So nice. And she got the music influence, which we love. You know, my son's a pianist, composer, conductor. So we love that, man. That's that's good stuff. Did you play instruments growing up? I mean, normally when one parent is involved with music, it almost always pushes down to the kids at some level. So like in second grade, my parents encouraged me to take piano lessons. So I did. I took piano lessons. I won a trophy in second grade for most improved piano player. And um, where we lived at the time, we had like a separate music room where I had to go practice piano at night. It was cold. It was dark. And I was like, I'm not into this at all. So after about a year, I quit. But I did actually win most improved piano player in second grade. <laughs> and I had a recital, too. You got to love it, man. The fun facts that come out on our Run Chats episode. That's what we're here for, Jeremy, man. People want to know. This is the kind of stuff people want to know. They don't want to just know how many miles a week you're running or what kind of pace you're doing on tempo runs and heart rates, man. They want to know. When it goes down, uh, like I said, it was who's who's robbing the Monopoly cash bank? You know, which brother or sister can't be trusted? That's the inside info exactly. people, are, people are tuning in for, for sure, man. Good stuff. Um, so anyway, athleticism kind of comes from the mom's side of the family, all that stuff with your exposure to sports was way more, you know, the average stuff that we get involved with. So, you know, you were a big baseball guy, really love baseball. What were some of your other favorite sports, you know, growing up as a kid? Um, obviously I love the major sports, football, basketball, baseball. I watched, I soaked up every bit I could, you know, watched NFL, um, NCAA, I was a huge Duke fan from the early 90s, back in the back-to-back the -back championship years with Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley, Coach K, those guys. That was right in my wheelhouse. That's when I really got – I was about 11 or 12 when those teams were playing, and I was really into that. So it really got me into basketball. And, of course, baseball has always been my favorite sport. So um, just learning the history of baseball, seeing – you know, I was always intrigued and enamored with the history of baseball. Just it's such a part of our of Americana and going back and seeing a lot of those great players and the way that baseball fit into our culture for so long in the in the 20th century and the early 20th century and on. So it's really awesome to see that. Yeah, it's the fabric of America, man. It's Americana at its best. Uh, old school baseball. Um, the thing that I struggle with is, uh, but then again, I can't say much cause I'm a huge Raider fan and obviously I grew up in New Jersey. So how do I become a Raider fan from New Jersey? And you're a huge Red Sox fan from North Carolina. So that's yeah. a little bit of a mystery to me <laughs> and our boy, Greg, man, run love New York. So what's up with the Red Sox stuff? I mean, you may be the first Red Sox fan I've ever had on the show. You may be the last one as well. I don't know, man. We'll see. Uh, oh my goodness. So. I guess probably early on, like most people in our region are Atlanta Braves fans. And I was too, when I was, you know, as a young child, we, the Braves were on TBS every night. You could watch every game. So I was in big time into the Braves. Um, and then the Braves were, were great for so many years in the early and mid nineties. And then the strike happened and I kind of lost interest in baseball a lot. You know, it was just a tough time for baseball. And as baseball started to come back, I'd always liked the Red Sox, but I was more of a National League fan. 
Um, and kind of as I came re-interested in baseball, I kind of latched onto the Red Sox with Memar Garcia Parra, Pedro. I was, and, and it, honestly, it was more of an anti-Yankees thing. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to, whoever the Yankees don't like, that's who I'm going to pull for. So it was kind of like that. So I kind of latched onto the Red Sox. And then you had Johnny Damon, a lot of these guys come in, the idiots, um, Kevin Millar. And these guys in the early 2000s, and I was like, this is the team that I can pull for. And most people think that I became a Red Sox fan after they won the World Series. No, I was pulling for the Red Sox a couple of years before they won the World Series. I was very interested in the Red Sox, their players, and, um, you know, Big Poppy and a lot of these guys before they ever won the World Series. So, Well, luckily, we're going to give you a pass for that, because if you came <laughs> in after the fact, you know, we might have to cut the episode way short, man, because that's... uh. You know, you probably suffered with the Yanks taking out the Braves in the World Series. You probably were struggling with that and just looking or reaching for a way. And finally, Boston broke through. And look, man, they've had a great run. Total respect. Um, they overcame a lot in their history, man. <laughs> Seriously, dark times and dark history to finally break through and uh, get it done and win a, and win a couple, man. So, um, yeah, it's a good organization, but they'll always be hated by Yankee fans and you know, they'll obviously always hate us. So it's all good. We need those kind of rivalries though, man. That's, that's good. Yep. We, we need the good against the evil. We need the dark side and uh, Red Sox nation, Yankee nation and all of it, man. So what was your, uh, what was your position growing up? What did you play? I played shortstop. I used to play shortstop for second base. I was an infielder. Um, always enjoyed playing those positions and, and just had a lot of fun doing it. So Nice. In the middle of the action, get a lot of work. Um, basically in charge of the infield either way. I was a center fielder, man, so it was all about taking every fly ball. No one could catch any balls except me. I was cutting everybody off, calling everybody off at every opportunity. But, yeah, baseball roots are strong, and uh, playing a team sport like that is great. Um, and people don't really think of running as a team sport, but if anybody who's ever run in high school or college, they know it is a team sport. Sure, you're individually out there trying to run your fastest time and maybe even beat your own teammates, some of the best guys in your own team. But, you know, when you score for your team in cross country or you score for your team in a track meet or you're running a relay or a DMR, you know, there's a lot. And even outside competing that way, being on a team even like Renegades or Telos Running or any running team, my Central Park Track Club team up here in New York City, it's the workouts, man. It's people you have to train with to go, you know, grind the miles with, do a long run with, do a tempo run. So I think the baseball team sport gets runners prepped to really fit into the running community. What do you think? Do you think that has that holds some water for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, with baseball being a team sport, I mean, just like you said, you summed it up right there. I mean, it just gets you ready to be able to compete as a team sport when running and like I say with cross country and everything. Unfortunately, I was in schools um, as a kid who we didn't have cross, cross country programs. Now I look back, my friends and I would talk about, we were like, we wish we'd had cross, cross country and things at that time, but we obviously didn't have them. But um, yeah, definitely team sports are huge and running definitely translates to team sports. Yeah, no doubt. And even for when it's not a competitive team, a high school or a college team, there's the club teams. There's teams that are running indoor meets, outdoor meets, cross country, or even we just came back from Boston. I mean, there's master's teams, there's open teams. So, you know, you don't have to have a massive club team to be able to put a representative squad up in Boston in an age group and a master's group for men and women and score and, and really earn some prestigious hardware 
And uh, it just puts the focus not only on you for what you're trying to run that day for the race, but you're also thinking, hey, I need to score for the team. I need to run within this range. And if the rest of them hold up their end, we could actually score and be competitive, which is a, which is a super cool thing. So let's take a step back a little for everybody that wants to learn a little about how you actually got into running because you were a multi-sport kid growing up playing different team sports, but didn't get involved with running. What was your first venture into running and like kind of what brought you into the sport? How did that start out? Okay. So after school, I, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was not active, but I, I kind of played like some softball leagues, things like that. But Definitely wasn't exercising, definitely wasn't keeping up with um, staying in shape or anything like that. Um, so uh, I was on vacation uh, in 2012. I'm 30, I was 32 years old. And I, re- I just remember distinctly, I'll kind of take you back to the story. I remember distinctly going out to eat with my wife at a restaurant, gorging myself, eating way too much. <laughs> and then we're walking around shopping and I go, I just feel terrible. I feel terrible. Something has to change. Something has to change. So we came home from vacation. I think it was a Monday or Tuesday. Um, I thought, I'm going to download one of these Couch to 5K apps that everybody's talking about. So I downloaded a Couch to 5K app on my phone. And I'm a box checker. So there were boxes to check every day. Run for 30 seconds, walk for a minute and a half, do this for, you know, six minutes. So you would have, you know, three cycles of that, whatever it was. Um, so I would do that and it was, you know, three days a week, 30 seconds running, a minute and a half walking. And I'm like this in 30 seconds of running. I'm like, I'm winded. This is tough. How do people run? Cause I mean, mind you, it had been however long since I'd run in high school. That was the last time I'd run when we had done soccer practice, things like that, or done suicides and basketball practice. Um, so I started doing that. And by about the second or third week, I'm like, this is starting to get a little easier. Um, and checking those boxes off i thought and i'm an, I, I can be kind of an overachiever i'm like i'm gonna do a little bit more than what they say i'm supposed to do today so i started doing that started doing that and by about the third or fourth week i can still remember the day i ran for 10 minutes without stopping and i was so proud of myself for running for 10 minutes without stopping and it was it that's kind of how i got into running and you know um within about a month of doing that i signed up for my first 5k and ran my first 5K about two months after I started the Cast 5K program. I love it because uh, it gives us context of time. Um, you're really only involved with the sport for basically eight years. I mean, you just turned 40, you just became a master's runner, right? So you're, you know, you were 32 when you started and, you know, running for three minutes was an effort. You know, it was an issue, you know, to, you know, um, to actually just accomplish that. Um, and then walk and transition, walk, run, walk, run. And from there, you run your first 5K, you know, at, at 32. And eight years later, 247 at the, on the hollow grounds of the Boston Marathon course. I mean, that's pretty amazing short period of time to go from not running at all and couch, you know, 5K to couch potato plan. You know, it must have been a pretty decent plan, man. Yeah. And people have always said about me that my wife, my family, they've always been like, if Jeremy decides he's going to do something, he's going to do it. So that's kind of what I did. I can still remember, um, I was looking back today on kind of the dates. Um, in 2014 uh, was when Meb won the Boston Marathon the year after the bombing. I can still remember being, we were at the beach for Easter. That was Easter weekend. It was, I think it was uh, April, actually April 20th um, of 2014. 
And uh, that day was the Boston Marathon. I was on TV. We were watching it that morning from our condo. And I remember sitting there saying, I'm going to run that race one day. I'm going to run that race one day. And from there on, it's been like just a dream to to just to just get to Boston. And obviously, I was able to eventually do that. But just looking back at how how far I've come in that journey and and watching that 2014 race, thinking at that time, I'm going to get there, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. So it, it's just really cool to come full circle like that. Oh, hell yeah. It's cool. Um, and although you claim to be a box checker and someone who follows the roadmap, sometimes we don't have a roadmap. Sometimes we don't have a plan at all. We just know we want to get somewhere. We know what the destination is. And the destination is, I saw Meb do this. I want to get there. You know, you don't need to, to have all the steps to follow to A plus B plus C. It's just in the back of your mind, that thought is planted. It's there. Um, so to me, that tells me you're a driven guy. It tells me you're a guy who sets goals and puts their mind on something and is going to figure out how to accomplish it. Where do you think the drive comes from? Anybody in the family, particularly an athlete you watched growing up? Where do you, where do you think it comes from? Um, again, like you said, I'm very, I'm obviously a very driven person. Um, when I was a kid, my grandfather was a hard worker. He, he believed in the value of hard work and the work you did paying off. Um, even after he retired, he would still go out every day, work in his garden. He would, it's, it's crazy. I remember being a kid. It's like, he would get up, get dressed in the morning as though he were going to work. He would work for hours out in his garden, come in for lunchtime, like he was on lunch break and then go out in the afternoon and work in his garden some more, whether it's working in the garden or working in his shop, things like that. So at an early age, I was able to learn the value of hard work and hard work paying off. And he instilled a lot of that in me. Um, so I have always been a person who has valued hard work. And one of the things about running is running. It seems to me that the, the harder you work, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it as far as the reward that you get from the hard work that you've done. And running is almost a way to express that hard work that you do to express who I am as a hard worker and to be able to see those results uh, just just pay out that from the hard work that you put in. Yeah, there's some good stuff to dive into there. Um, you know, your grandfather might have been retired, but his approach to how he went out to work in the garden or work in his shop, like he treated it like it was still his job, right? but it wasn't a job. It was his craft. It was something he enjoyed. It was something he loved and he was passionate about. So he was going to go out there and, and he was going to get it done. Um, and, and his mind, he probably had certain things he was thinking, you know, thinking he was going to do, whether he was working on flowers or beds or soil, whatever he was going to do. And then maybe when he transitioned and went into the shop and he was doing some work or woodwork, whatever he was doing, like he wanted to stay busy. He wanted to keep working. You know, he was a grinder, man. And it's, it's super cool that although that wasn't athletic in any way, the ethic, the work ethic, it still rubbed off, man. It transferred to you about uh, what it takes in life, you know, and it doesn't just apply to running as we know. It applies to any anything that we want to do on this earth, man. If we're willing to put the work in and we're willing to build a plan and we're willing to put the hours and the effort in, man, we're always going to be successful. Um, and it may not be as quickly as we like, but we don't give up, you know, the first couple of times we fail, man. That's... Uh, that's definitely not something we do, especially on the stay in the fight mantra show, man. We we stay in it, man. We keep grinding for sure. Um, so super cool that he had that influence on you. And with running, although you were very new to running, you learned quickly right away 
the more that you put into it, you know, by just being, you know, focused and putting your energies in and maybe raising the stakes a little bit here and there. You can't get too crazy, though, for any brand new runners that are listening. You know, you don't double your mileage. You don't double the amount of time. Whatever the workout says, you got to be reasonable. And as you build up in time and you get stronger, you know, sure, you can you can definitely stretch things out and push a little bit in terms of your distances or your time on your feet. But um, we just don't want brand new inter, uh, runners out there who might be listening to the show thinking, hey, man, we could just double this formula or double the amount of time or double the amount of mileage. And, you know, we don't want anybody ended up, uh, you know, injured on the sideline, right? Exactly. So how quickly, you know, from the couch to potato program, you know, 10 minutes running makes you feel good. You're running a 5K. Um, when did you decide, hey, man, I really want to get more serious about this? And like, what steps did you take from there? Um, you know, after running a couple of good races, getting a feel for it, like, what were your, what were your like action steps? How did you treat running from that point? Well, I, I ran, I think I signed up for my first half marathon, um, in March of the following year. So mind you, I started running in July of 2012 by early March of 2013. I signed up for my first half marathon, completed my first half marathon ran with a friend of mine who'd been running for a couple of years. He had started running out of college just to kind of try to lose some weight. Um, so he was a buddy I could run with, and, and we kind of enjoyed doing some races early together. Um, in my early years of running, those first couple of years, maybe two, three, four years of running, I was pretty inconsistent. I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. Okay, do I want to do this thing? You know, I, I get home from work. Do I want to run today? Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I want so maybe I won't. So I was just kind of drifting, um, very inconsistent, but, um, I started, um, listening to some running podcasts and I caught on to one, um, the running road podcast with, uh, Chris McClung and Steve Sisson, um, in early 2017, I believe, because I, I kind of, like I say, didn't know I want to get faster. I want to get better. I wasn't sure how to do that. I'd read some books. I'd kind of, you know, watched some videos, things like that. Wasn't sure exactly what to do. And they kind of led me in a direction to where um, I can still remember Steve Sisson saying on the podcast, be the runner you say you want to be. If you want to go out, if, if you want to be a good runner, then don't make excuses. When you get up in the morning, it's time to go run. You know, uh, there's no excuses. So I kind of, you know, kind of adapted that for my life. I want to be the runner I say I want to be. So about that time I started getting consistent and I'd actually, what's funny is I'd signed up for a marathon a couple of years before that. I'd, for like two years in a row, I signed up for a marathon, never trained for it. When the marathon came around, I wasn't ready. I skipped it, um, you know, things like that. But finally, it finally just stuck with me and I was ready and I started training. And from there on, it's just been the consistency. It's just paid off. Um, over the last few years, and I've been able to see, achieve some things I never thought possible. Fantastic. Yeah, that pod was uh, definitely one of all of our favorites uh, when Chris and Steve were at the height of their powers and uh, doing it together. Um, and the energy was great. Um, and they had some just super awesome episodes and, and incredible guests and talk tracks were fun and definitely a lot to be learned. Um, when did you actually formally go from, you know, couch to potato and actually get involved with your first, like either running group where you were working locally with somebody down in North Carolina or with an actual coach? When did you take that step? Um, so again, in 2017, I was gearing up for my first marathon, listening to the podcast and listening to some of their tips and ra actually ran my first marathon in, in November of 2017, uncoached. 
Um, but I still give a lot of credit to Steve and Chris for that marathon. But in 2018, um, I joined the Rogue Running uh, virtual training group, which I think you were a part of in late 2017. Um, I was season two. Um, so in May of 2018, I um, became coached by Steve and Chris as part of the Running Rogue Renegades uh, virtual training group. So it was the first group I ever joined. So Renegades V2. Um, I was Renegades V1. Greg and I were Renegades V1. Um, and then I think quite a few runners stuck around for version two. Others kind of took a break. There was just a lot of different things going on with running, with the world, with just everything. Um, so that group was your first actual exposure to a group. And it was a unique very, very unique hybrid model. Not unique right now. Now kind of pretty much everyone is coaching virtually, if you will. Um, but at that point, you know, to that point, I would say it was really one of the first groups that was put together intentionally where people were not going to physically be in the same place. Most running groups, coached running groups, are getting together to do their organized workouts at a track one day a week, maybe a Tuesday or a Thursday. The other day of the week might be tempo runs on the road. And the last day of the week, of course, is hollowed ground, Saturday, Sunday, long run day, church of the long run. Um, so it was a unique format. And so many of us and many of my guests that have come on the show met met through uh, met through the Renegades. So um, awesome time. Some of my favorite people ever. I'm so committed to running and learning about running and wanting to perfect uh, their their uh their whole practice, you know, make themselves better, get stronger. Um, what are some of your favorite takeaways from training with the renegades in that group and some of the runners, like some favorite takeaways, some things you learned, uh, underneath, uh, you know, Chris and Steve and the group, you know, working with the other runners in the group. Right. I would say that Chris and Steve early on kind of, kind of laid the groundwork for the basis of training, um, just giving you some some of the main principles of what it takes to train and to train at a high level. And uh, that's one of the things they did was they treated us like we were capable of doing the work. They didn't baby us. They gave us the, some, you know, some tough workouts that a lot of people would look at and just be like, wow, this is tough. But they gave them to us. And I, honestly, one of the things I'm most thankful for out of that group is the bonds that I have with so many people. Um, that group, again, was the first group I was exposed to where I was, you know, in contact with people from all over the United States, all over the world, really. Um, and many of those bonds that we formed early on have lasted until today, just like with you and I sitting right here. I mean, that, that, I think this was this relationship was born out of Renegades early on. So, 100%. That's where it's born from. And, you know, to take it all the way back to Boston, you know, there I am in the first three miles of the course. And there goes Matthew from Renegade season one, rolling up on me out of the corner of my eye, like screaming my name, screaming my name. And, you know, he's up in Canada. He's got, I think he has a couple of kids now, or I know he has at least one young baby, but maybe he's got two. Um, but I haven't talked or heard from him in years. And, you know, we just picked the ball right back up. Like everything was the way it used to be. And, um, I think the the fun dynamic that was in that group, because you talked about some of the workouts being really challenging, is that, uh, you know, we kind of fed off each other. You know, if Greg was doing a workout on a Thursday and you were going to do it on a Saturday and Amanda was going to do it on a Sunday and Lee was going to do it on a Monday, like we might all move those workouts to different days or different times even, but we would all be paying careful attention to 
who did what on this tiger 20 mile run or whatever the hell Sisson created some crackpot <laughs> fucking crazy ass name for but um, whatever it was man they're all like hybrid workouts of you know other great coaches just tweaked and you know from the michigan workout on down everything just mo you know modified and changed in some way to make it more twisted more crazy um but the fact that we would all beat the hell out of each other and then kind of see what we'd each done was wonderful man and it was genius because although we weren't physically running them together we all wanted to see how we were going to perform in those workouts during the cycle. And I think um, it definitely re uh, led to some big gains and uh, us all pushing each other, you know, to, to kind of try to be the best version of ourselves for sure. Yeah, definitely. And and sometimes when when some of us look back on it now, we, we look back at that short period of time um, when things were that way. And we refer to it as lightning in a bottle. I mean, there was a time when there was lightning in a the bottle. There was so much excitement. Everything was just going right. Um, and it was just a special time, a time that doesn't always happen like that. Um, you don't always have that kind of connection. And we all had that connection in that special time. And it's just great to look back on that time and then just appreciate it for what it is. And it was, and it, again, it was lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, as you think forward to your own running and for the future, um, it's one of those things where, you know, you can have that influence on other runners, you know, by being connected, by paying careful attention, by sharing workouts, not just, you know, in a smaller ecosystem like they had put together, which was Renegades or Rogue, um, just by using Strava even, man, just by hitting up your buddies who are doing hard workouts in a cycle, even if you're not running the same marathon or same half marathon. Um, that's the cool thing about us sharing our training out there in these different ecosystems and platforms, man, you can hit somebody up and say, Jeremy, great, great workout, man. You crush that thing and vice versa, you know, give that love back because somebody who thinks they didn't have a great workout that day, or maybe isn't feeling as good about it to get 35 people writing them a comment on a long run, a workout or a race will definitely help somebody's mindset for sure. Right. Exactly. Like you're saying, Strava brings a level of accountability. Even with me, it's like, Sometimes I think, okay, if I don't run today, people are counting on me to run. But obviously, probably like there's probably only two or three people that realize they didn't run today. But still, in my mind, it's like there's that accountability of Strava. I have all my followers. They expect me to run. They expect me to do something really cool, really epic. So um, I enjoy, you know, things like that, having that accountability, whether it's whether it's real or imagined. It's, it's pretty cool. I love it. It doesn't have to be real. It only has to be real in your, between your ears, Jeremy, or mine or anybody else. Um, one of the things we talked about, me, you and Greg were on a private uh, text exchange for, I don't know, when we started it, maybe about six or seven weeks to go before Boston. And I talked about how much, you know, Goggins has just always moved the needle for me and how that guy just speaks to me and he's my spirit animal. And, you know, I could be in the worst funk or maybe at my highest moment and some post that he will do will just shake me, man. It's like he picked me up off the ground and shook me. And I remember this. I wonder if you'll remember this, but I wrote back to you and Greg, man. I totally called myself out. I said, this is fucking bullshit. I'm running like 45 miles a week. I'm not even running 60 miles a week. I'm eating like bags of junk food every single night, candy and all this other stuff after eating full dinner, drinking too much. I just totally called myself because of a Goggins post about taking accountability. And I just said, this is over. And I have the ability, it's a blessing or a curse, whichever way you want to look at it, to just draw that line in the sand. And I'll never forget telling you guys, I think I was at like 170 pounds or 171 pounds 
and that's it. For the next six weeks, I ate no candy. I drank no coffee. I had no alcohol. I had no dessert. I had no after-dinner snacks. I mean, literally, I took away every one of my favorite things over the last six weeks because of one very simple thing. I made myself accountable to you and Greg on that small group text that we had because of Goggins. So we can all have that impact, whether it's in a three-person group text or a 30-person group text or a renegades group, where if the people that you're on there with trust you and care about you and you make a commitment to them, just like you said, you said you got to do your runs on Strava or people are going to be like wondering what happened. I didn't do my run. Well, I told myself if I didn't get my weight down and I didn't get myself to the line as fit as I could be, I was not, you know, being the best version of myself. And I'm proud of the fact that I cleaned it up. It was not easy, man. It was really hard. But you know what made it easier? Knowing that I had to be accountable to you two. And I knew that, you know, at some point, maybe not every day, but at some point you were going to let us know where you were at. Greg was going to let us know where he was at. And I was going to let you guys know where I was at in this journey. So the more we can all do as runners to share, whether it's a super small group like that or larger groups, you know, that's, that's the bonds, man, that build and help you dig deep when shit gets dicey. Okay. Like I remember distinctly, you had some horrible monsoon weather before some like 22 miler you had to do. It was going to be like lightning storms and all this other stuff. And man, we have the expression, shit happens. We don't know what's going to happen, man. We just know the work's got to get done at the end of the day. And the only people who really know are your coach and you, and maybe a couple of close friends. And at the end of the day, if the work doesn't get done, what happens when you show up on race day, right? It's like you're not prepared for the exam, man. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get it done. So, um, during this cycle, um, I know, um, you know, you're working with the sorcerer, our man Steve Sisson, one of my favorites, one of my top three or four favorite podcasts ever, which we did after CIM. The sorcerer has uh, got a unique energy in this world, man, and you two guys couldn't be more opposite. Um, so I just think that's just wild that you have such a great chemistry. So talk about it, man. Tell me a little about Steve, how you guys got started working together and how he's had an impact on your running. Yeah, Steve's great. So I've been with Steve counting the renegade years for about four years. And Steve just been an awesome coach. Sometimes I'm Steve is very, can be very woo woo. Um, I'm not as much into the woo woo, but Steve just motivates me. He's exciting. He's driven. Um, he's been doing this for over 25 years and he's still Every time I talk to Steve, um, I come away just excited, invigorated. And the cool thing about Steve is when we kind of break down a training cycle or or a race or whatever else, he the wheels are always spinning with him. He goes, "What can I do better next cycle to make this different? What can I do that's gonna that's gonna impact, have more of an impact, make you more prepared for the next race, whatever that is." Um, so I really appreciate a coach who is not after all these years, who is not willing to just mail it in and, and send out the macro, things like that. He is always tweaking that macro going, okay, where does this fit? Where does that fit? That didn't work last time. I probably could make this a little bit better. I could probably could put some more recovery in here. Um, so it's just, it's so cool because when I talk to Steve, it's like this, th his mind is just, it just blows my mind how smart he is on this subject of, of, you know, of, of running, of training. 
And so it's really cool. I've just enjoyed so much running for him. And I think he's, I think he's the best coach out there, but I'm kind of partial. So, Oh man, he's, uh, he's literally at the top, the top of the, the top of the heap for sure. Um, and you know, he's got about a thousand, uh, lifetime sayings that we all love. Like what does the race require? And you know, the marathon always wins and you know, a hundred other things on down, but they're, they're all true. What, a, what does the race require? Every race is different. Every marathon is different. The courses are different. Um, and they all demand more for us based on the weather and the hill profile and what time of the year you're running and what's your training going to be like. So how have you guys evolved? You know, you talked about your training and changing and stuff like that and the questions he asks you and stuff like that. How have you evolved your training? Have you changed much in terms of mileage, workouts, adding, like, I know he lives for the spice of workouts. So every workout has a purpose. There's, there's stuff in there. It's not just a long run at X. There's always you know, pace changes, et cetera. But how have you guys evolved since you started working together? Um, I think Steve and I have developed a rapport to where he trusts me, tells me, trust me, because sometimes I can kind of go a little bit farther than most do, whether it be my mileage, my intensity, things like that. Fortunately, I was blessed with a body that's not injury prone. I do recover pretty well. Um, so uh, Steve really trusts me to be able to keep my body in in the kind of condition I need it to be in to be recovered enough to do the work, um, to be able to to sustain and be able to 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 handle the work throughout a cycle. So um, that's kind of how our relationship has developed as far as he knows that he can trust me to to be where I need to be on race day and do what he needs me to do um and and get their injury free get there as recovered as possible and and just not put myself in a position where i'm in in any kind of danger whatsoever so i can listen to my body um he's taught me the art of listening to my body so um i feel like uh, you know i can really tell when things are when i'm when i'm really worn out when i'm really tired and it's been a cycle or a week or two to where it's been a really just a drain on me i can kind of back it off and know it's okay it's just part of the cycle you know it's not going to hurt me to miss this workout um, there's been plenty of times when we've had a workout scheduled for a Tuesday and I go, I'm just going to skip this workout. It's just not going to fit right now because there's a lot more to lose than there is to gain by doing this workout. So those are wise words, my friend. Um, you know, and as a box checker, I find that unusual, um, because people who live with wanting to hit it from Monday through Sunday, and take that week apart, or maybe even look a couple of weeks in advance, they're the ones that are saying, okay, where's my tiger workout? Where's this hard workout going to be? And they're the ones we circle, and they're the ones we really think about on, and we get our game face on, we wear our racing shoes, and we get our fueling set up, and maybe we have our fastest training partners join us, but those are wise words. I mean, there are way too many runners out there at any age, whether they're high school or college age, or my age, who feel so compelled that everything that's written or typed or emailed or texted has got to be followed. And that's just not real. I mean, we're going right. to have... And that's one thing that, that Steve has kind of taught me through the years is trusting the process. And the process is not dependent on one day. One day does not make or break you. So if you need to skip one day of a workout, whether it's a workout or, or you know, a speed thing or whatever, or whether it's even taking a day off, one day is not going to kill you. The process is so much greater than the day you're in, than the week you're in, than the month you're in, than your cycle you're in. Because ultimately your your process is is months, years, even long. So trusting the process is not putting yourself in jeopardy by feeling like you have to hit that workout on that day. 
Yeah, such a key talk track to to nail that piece and bring it home because I can't tell you many people who have a Tuesday tempo run lined up. The weather isn't good. They're not feeling good. They're sick. Something happens and they just decide they're going to do it on Wednesday. And now they've just changed the rest of their week. You know, a workout is gone when it's over. The only way it gets added back in should be with your coach saying, okay, Jeremy, this one's so important. We're not going to do the long run on Saturday, which we all know would almost never happen because no good coach like Sisson is ever going to move a long run because long runs are the building blocks of what we do. But if he did feel that strongly about it, he might. But that's where that give and take has to exist with the coach. That's where the trust has to be there enough to say, hey, rough day at the office, not feeling well. Uh, I had a rough time at home, you know, just I'm really run down and I feel like this might push me over the edge because that's when illness comes in or potentially injury. So it's great that you guys have built up that level of trust and uh, chemistry. And, you know, as time will go, you know, you'll increase, you'll continue to increase mileage or not. You know, he may find that you can do better with a little less on mileage, but more intensity on workouts. You know, he'll continue to tweak that secret sauce, but you are an important piece in that as is Steve, because your voice, man, you got to share that stuff. Um, and the only way you're going to know, because it is not, uh, it's it's building up over time. It's cycle after cycle after cycle. Uh, people want linear results, man. That's not, running doesn't work that way at all. Um, you could be in the best shape of your life and Boston could send you the 2018 weather day we have. You know, you could be prepared to run sub three that day, but the odds of you running sub three that day probably went out the window. I'm sure there were a few that maybe nailed their day or got it just right, but there were a whole lot more that didn't um, because those variables are a lot to overcome. When water bottles and Gatorade is spilling over from 35 mile an hour winds and our hands are so cold, we can't actually open a gel to actually get the fuel in. I mean, I think that led to way more people getting hypothermia than what clothing they had on that day. I think it just had to do with not getting enough fuel in because it was damn near impossible, you know, to do so. So, um, you know, I'm excited to hear, you know, what you guys have planned for the future. But, you know, now, man, we got to get into your race, brother. I mean, this was this was a big day, man. I mean, it was it was I keep trying to tell people that ran in October for the first time, Jeremy, that although it was a Boston Marathon, and yes, they earned a unicorn medal, and they ran the very same course that all of us did in the last 126, that that wasn't a real Boston Marathon. And that is not slighting anybody, not the BAA, not Boston, and not anyone. It just was not a real Boston experience. The crowds were, you know, literally a tenth of what we saw on, on Marathon Monday. The energy level of the crowds was a whisper compared to the wild, you know, rambunctious, fired up energy that existed everywhere, by the way, from Ashland all the way through. We had that big energy feel um, as opposed to in October when we were both up there. Um, so for you, you had to have noticed that difference, you know, between October and just uh, just this past Monday, right? Oh, it was unreal. I, you know, it, it's like you said, it was not even a tenth of the crowds this time. I mean, October was my first Boston. I was supposed to run um, in 2020 was going to be my first one. Obviously, it was canceled, had to do the virtual in the fall of 2020. So 2021, October was my first Boston. And I was expecting a lot. It was still very exciting. It was still really cool. Um, but after I was done, I'm like, oh, Boston's really fun, but I, it just, 
it was exciting and fun, but it just wasn't quite, it was maybe an eight out of 10. And so this year I come back. And of course, last year was kind of crazy because we haven't even gotten into this, but I did the doubles Chicago the day before. Um, so I wasn't in Boston for the entire weekend, but this time I was actually able to be in town for the entire weekend and um, just to experience the buzz in the city. And of course the race on Monday and this race was insane from Friday afternoon until I flew out yesterday. Yesterday was Wednesday afternoon. It was insane the entire time. People everywhere, people excited. And the race itself was the crowds were 10 times as much this Monday than they were back in October. And it was just so exciting. Um, and I ran New York back last November and I thought the crowds were really cool. Then the crowds were great in New York, but I'm like, Comparing to Boston October and now to Boston, I'm like, oh, Boston is can be as good of crowd as, as New York is. And they were it was just incredible. The day was just just special. Everything about it was special. The crowds, the city, everything was just unbelievable. It was just it was beyond 10 on, on a one to 10. It was beyond 10. So well said. Um and also, too, to your point, running November, New York in November, that still wasn't a true five borough New York experience yet guaranteed this November will be um, because it's just different when people feel like they can be outside without masks and not be worried about getting COVID and you know enough time has passed where people are just being able to relax a little bit more but it wasn't just on the race course because we're going to get into the race from start to end all the way through and we're going to have you take us out there but what I love this year even more so were the pop-ups all over Newberry Street, man. The brands were out in force. You know, you had Running Rabbit out there down one end of the street. Puma was there. Asics was there. Obviously, Tracksmith has a legendary store. It's like the Mecca. It's where all runners want to go and hang out, you know, whether it's on floor two, floor one. People just want to hang out in there and talk running. And it's just, you know, it's hard to put into words what that weekend gave us all. Um, so I just want to know for you, what did it mean to you, man? I'm not talking about the race, just that stuff, the social stuff, being able to walk around Newberry Street, walk around Boylston Street. What did that feel like for you? And what did you, what were your takeaways? Well, it was just, again, an incredible weekend. And um, I think of, in 2019, when our friend Greg was there, Greg says, you have to come. This is like Comic-Con for runners. And that's exactly what it was this weekend. It was Comic-Con for runners. So um, I had some family in town. Of course, we had tons of friends in town. I was, it seemed like I was doing something all day, every day with everybody and just walking down Newberry street. If we went to Tracksmith, I think it was Tracksmith like six or seven times. I had, they, they took my money every time I walked through the doors <laughs> of that place. So the last time I was with you and they took even more of my money. Um, but it was just so incredible. The weekend, um, a lot of my family that came that they, they don't, they're not familiar with running. So they don't really understand how big something like this is and they left this weekend after being in the city and going man this is this was something really cool this is huge the boston marathon is something huge and so now they're all like interested in running they become running fans they're like you know asking me all these questions about running and about the marathon about the other marathons and everything else but it was this weekend just meant so much to me to be able to have not only friends but family there um, to be able to experience it with everybody, to be able to spend the weekend in the city. And the city was just 
the city delivered. I mean, in every way possible, from the stores, from the people, from you know, just everything. It was just I, it could not have been more perfect of a weekend for a marathon. From I mean, the weather was great too. It was a little windy, but the weather was great. Yeah, so well said. Um, because I want people listening to this show, I want them to understand that piece of it. Because if you can find a way to earn a BQ and you haven't before, and you could find a way to get that opportunity to go up there to Boston and run this legendary race that I've been involved with since 1995, the 99th Boston, it'll change your life, man. It, it'll literally change your life. Um, there are a few places in the world that revere running like Boston. And it takes 126-year history to have that kind of reverence for a sport, um, to have the legends like Bill Rogers still around in the community, being at shakeouts and speaking. And obviously, Meb has an enormous presence. And um, obviously, the women like Catherine Switzer and all the great women, Joan Benoit Samuelson and others who had run, you know, the first runners that got involved. This was the 50-year anniversary of women being able to run in Boston. Uh, legitimately without uh, Catherine, you know, like running the race and, you know, basically kind of being under the radar. So there was just so much in play. And we did have magnificent weather. We had spectacular weather, man. So take us out there, dude, man. Take me out to Hopkinton, the bus ride out. You know, what were you feeling? And, you know, right up from being in your corral to take me through the race, man. Tell me what went down out there for you. Well, obviously, this was my first real Boston experience. Last year was the, was the rolling start, so it was kind of different. It kind of felt like starting a, a long run with your buddies last year. But this year was the real experience, so we were in Athletes Village. It was really cool. I uh, took the bus ride out with a couple of buddies of mine from home, one I was going to run the race with, and also our buddy Larry Kim from L.A. Um, we had a lot of fun. Um, so we all started the race together, just rolling along, trying to stay in the groove. Um, everything was feeling good. Um, and just the again, just overwhelmed by the crowds, the crowd support, just and spent those first few miles just trying to get in the rhythm and the groove, rolling along again and just making it, you know, mile by mile. Um, and feeling pretty good. Um, feeling pretty good about my day, feeling pretty good about where I was. Um, got to the hills, felt good, kind of grinded through the first couple of hills was eating people up and then came the third and fourth hill. The third one's a little bit tougher. Fourth being heartbreak, a little bit tough to go up, but I thought just don't charge it, conserve energy, be ready to attack off the top of the hill. I was ready to attack, but about the time that I hit, made the left and the Cleveland circle, my quads for whatever reason were gone. I felt like I did all that I needed to do in training to prepare for the downhills, to prepare for the uphills. Um, again, did a lot of hills, but I just could not find the knee drive that I needed, um, and started slowing and, but it was okay. I was, I was still enjoying every minute of it. Um, and it was a great race, fell off my time a little bit, probably was a little bit slower than I want to be, but it was still a PR and I could not ask for more. And the crowds, the closer I got to Boston, the crowds were thicker and thicker and thicker. It was so loud. It was just incredibly loud, especially coming through Kenmore square it was just incredibly loud. Um, and then when I got to, um, Hereford, Hereford was just rocking and making the right on Hereford, the left on Boylston, Boylston, Boylston was incredible. And my family was, I knew my family was somewhere on Boylston, but I did not know where I was looking, looking, looking. I could not find them anywhere. I mean, literally I was looking, looking, looking the whole time, could not find 
ended up they were a block from the finish and i never saw them they had like these fat heads with my face on them and stuff and everything too and everybody was waiting oh no they're pretty cool so but um but so they actually got to see me finish i didn't hear them i didn't see them but um just an incredible day just could not ask for more so nothing i would change about the day i love the recap i love you taking us out there um for me i always tell people even people who are veterans or run boss i always tell people the race doesn't the race doesn't start to you to make the turn at the firehouse and in all technicality it really starts after you bomb down into lower newton falls and you have to do the first hill where you got to climb over that bridge because man i even know i've heard des on multiple podcasts talk about how that is her least favorite hill in the boston course and i don't think anybody likes that hill man it's just long and it keeps going and when you get up to that highway ramp the wind always seems to be blowing like swirling around and it just kind of that's always where i take stock of like where i am right at that point like after you level off and finally get up that hill do my legs feel okay how do they feel because just like you said it's it just comes in waves uh it's it's a chain of hills in newton and they're all different you know in terms of pitch they're all different in terms of length and I think that's what uh, makes Boston the final exam that it is, man. No matter how many miles we run, no matter how much we prepare, assistant says, what does the race require? Hey, we can run all we want on uphill slash downhill, change of pace type courses, but it's running that many miles over the race day and having that chain of hills come as late as it does and then having your legs have to be able to answer the call, as you say, you know, because once you have scaled heartbreak and it levels out and, you know, Boston College is kind of zooming in on the right and you hit, you know, 21.8, 22 miles, that's when you bomb down into Cleveland Circle. And with all the miles you've run and so many great runners who put in crazy cycles and came into this race fit, that's where you find out. You don't really know. Of course, going down that hill, no matter what your legs feel like, you're going to still be booking, man, because it's a huge downhill into Cleveland Circle where the road just kind of veers off to the left and then you straighten back out. So that was your point where you felt like the quads just weren't there um, and they couldn't deliver. No, I know we talked about this up in Boston. Your fueling was on point. You got enough, you got enough gels in, so you got enough carbs in. It was you don't think it was anything fueling related, right? No, I don't think so. I think it honestly, um, and I haven't debriefed with Sisson yet, but kind of looking back on it, I think that I wanted to be marathon goal place plus or minus five seconds for the first 16 miles or so. Um, I kind of erred on the minus five seconds, I guess, however you want to look at that. I, I think I was probably a little bit quick. Sometimes I'm kind of thinking in my mind, maybe if I had been a little more conservative, then maybe I would add the quads. But again, it's it, even the pros can't get Boston right. So, I mean, it, it was a learning experience. I wouldn't change anything about it. We'll try something different next time and see what happens. So um, just just so glad to be there and be able to run it. I love it. And you just stole my next question. What did you learn from this year? Um, so yeah, that, that is what we learn. Um, no matter how we prepare, no matter how many miles we run, no matter how many long runs where we close at our fastest pace on 22 mile legs or on 23 mile legs, it's not 22 miles in Durham or in Raleigh or in Central Park in New York City. It's not on that same terrain. It's not the same road. The, the feel of the roads are different. They're so narrow. We're also weaving in and out a lot, you know, to get to those nutrition tables. And even though, the, you know, they're on both sides of the road, it's narrow. And 
I, I've never run from Corral 2-4 before. I've never been that far back. I've always been in one and, you know, one, two, one, three, you know, one of the first and earliest corrals. So I've had more, more traffic myself. So I don't know if you had any challenges, but I know I did getting over to get to water and Gatorade. I mean, certainly there was ample amounts. It's just, you can't just cut runners off. You know, you have to be mindful of your other fellow runners out there. At least I try to be. Um, sometimes people got their headphones on and they're blasting music and they don't, they're just not even aware, man. They're in like, they're in their own place. But did you have any trouble getting, you know, to the tables, getting, getting over there to get your uh, fluids in? Um, I didn't for the most part. Um, obviously I would kind of try to work my way over there when I saw the tables coming up on the, on, at the times that I wanted to get water or Gatorade. Um, but I will say this year having a full field versus last year in October, I was around people the entire time. There were a lot of times last October that it was very sparse, very, I mean, I felt like I had the road to myself this year. It was more, there's plenty of people around you at all time. You're kind of running in a pack. Um, I was never hindered by a pack, but definitely was in a pack of runners of similar ability almost the entire day. Yeah, it was a huge change from October. Um, the traffic was significant, even that uh, people running in your 240 range to me running 333. So it was there. And I'm sure it was far more significant, you know, behind me. Um, and, you know, even further back from where I was. And it's just something that I had gotten used to in Boston over the years, you know, just trying to get your angles right, knowing when you're going to slide over to, you know, to get your gels in and do all of that. And look, man, it's a hell of a performance. Uh, did you try to lean on a mantra, you know, any thoughts that you prepared in your own head you know, for like, cause I always try to prepare, obviously stay in the fight is my mantra. It's not like that's a secret. Everyone knows it from the show, but you know, I am always expecting, you know, okay, when something goes wrong, how am I going to handle it? I know that Steve talks about that stuff with you and other runners. He coaches, you know, be prepared. If you drop your gels, what are you going to do? Um, if you can't get enough Gatorade, what are you going to do? Like, did you have any thoughts prepared in your own head for that scenario, you know, when the quads just didn't feel like they could deliver, you know, for those last, and that's only what, four miles to go from there. So it's not like you had a really long way in, but for just trying to get the most out of yourself, you know, coming home, bringing it home. Right. And let's, like you said, problem solving is a skill that, that's really necessary, whether it's marathon running or life. So I like to think that I'm pretty good at problem solving. When things happen, I can adjust and figure out what to do. Um, I, I, I do like mantras and sometimes I have them. Sometimes I don't. Um, I really didn't go into the race, uh, Monday with any kind of mantras other than it's time to go to work. And sometimes for me, it's easier for my mentality to zone out and just do the work. So when I get in those situations where I get in the closing miles of the marathon, my mind goes to a place of, okay, put your head down and go to work. Um, it's, it's time to get it done. And so that's kind of where I go. I don't, I'm not a person that needs a lot of motivation. So, um, again, there are times that I do employ mantras, but Monday for whatever reason was not one of those days. And I was just able to sit there and think, okay, go to work, go to work, get the work done. And I just remember thinking right as we were getting ready to start, it's time to go to work, put your work hat on. That's my, uh, my training partner, Maddie always says, put your work hat on. Let's go. So that's kind of what I was thinking Monday all day. It's not going to be easy. Don't take anything for granted. Go to work. Get it done. Love it. Go to work's a mantra, man. Look, man, it, it can be the simplest saying in the whole world. It just has to be something you can lean on when things get hard. 
um, when you know you need to dig deep. Um, and if you feel like, you know, you may be losing it a little bit and your mind isn't as sharp as it needs to be, or you're starting to doubt yourself, it's just something that you can go to, you know, in those tough spots. And, and it's not going to like solve your problems. You know, if you drop 12 gels and you don't have anything left, if somebody doesn't give you one in the course, you know, like saying, stay in the fight, isn't going to fix your fueling problem. It's just, uh, it's a way to just stay mentally strong and mentally sharp. So I like your approach, man. Uh, it's very simple. It's very basic. And whatever the hell you're going to use, it's got to be personal to you. It has to be meaningful to you and resonate with you. you. Everybody can't use mine. Everybody can't use yours. Everybody can't use Dez's. You know, that's just not the way they work. Um, not if they're really going to resonate with you and be able to help you, you know, when you hit uh, hit that moment of truth, if you will. So, uh Coming, coming up, you, you nailed it, man. Boylston and, and Hereford were, were crazy. I mean, it was just, it was wild. I mean, it was like 10 times louder, like not even a hundred times louder in October. I mean, it was as loud as any Boston I've ever run in. Um, I've never heard it that loud before. I could, you know, you could barely hear. I mean, it was like being at an outdoor rock concert or something. And the energy was just like flowing. It was emanating, you know, up and down the street. So you cross, you rock it. Um, what was your gut feeling coming across, man? You know, I know it maybe not wasn't the exact goal time that you and Steve had set, but it's still a huge PR, man. Were you were you coming across that line feeling like really proud, really happy, really excited? Like, what were you feeling when you crossed the line? So I was super happy. I mean, anytime you get to finish a marathon, I just feel this this gratefulness to be able to get out and do this. I mean, it's just it's unreal to be able to run twenty six point two miles, have that kind of support have friends and family who, again, my motivation all day was, I have no clue how many people are tracking me, but I know how many people have told me they are. And it's like tons of people. So, I mean, just knowing that you, every time I hit those timing mats, this is some, in these big races like this, when I hit those timing mats, I always think energy. You're feeling the energy of those people that are getting that update right now of how you're doing. They're interested. They're tuned into your race. And so you feel that energy when you hit that timing mat. So when I crossed the line, I thought, man, this is just, I'm so grateful to be able to finish the, finish the Boston Marathon, to be able to have all these people who are pulling for me, cheering me on. And then about five seconds later, my eyes started going dark and I felt like I was going to pass out. <laughs> but I made it through. <laughs> I'm like, all right, just stay upright, stay upright, stay upright. Because you know how you feel at the end of the marathon. You're completely de depleted. So I started getting dark. And then I went over to the fence over on the side. And I thought, I'm getting ready to throw up. But then I didn't throw up. So about two minutes later, I was good to go. <laughs> That's just those feelings you get at the end of a marathon when you're completely depleted. People who haven't run a marathon don't understand how it feels when you cross that line after doing that hard of work for that long a sustained time. And then your body is just like, oh, what have you done to me? <laughs> we we've seen it all i mean last year one of my friends who i know listens to the podcast she buckled right in front of me fell flat on the ground she was laying on the ground and i'm waving the medical people over and we got her a wheelchair and they rolled her into the medical tent i mean you know people that are fine they're talking to you and two minutes later boom they just they're gone their faculties are gone or you're you're feeling like you're uh you're gonna fade to black man it just it takes everything you have, man. It takes it all. And even when you get your fueling right and you take enough gels and you get enough fluids in, 
it's still like we really we really have no idea like it's not like a car where we have the gas or the the empty fuel the fuel light we don't we don't really know we don't know if we needed more salt or we needed you know more of some other mineral like we just don't know we don't know what got sucked out of there on that day because look face it it was warmer than people were expecting and the sun always takes a toll when you have a bright sunny day it always takes a toll from people and i know i saw a lot of people's posts that ended up way off of where they wanted to run and they really struggled and weren't able to hit their goals. And some people crushed it and had great races, but you know, that's, that's what's to be expected with Boston. People go all in. They don't go out there to, you know, try to run a halfway decent race. They're going all in to try to run their best race they've ever run or make an Olympic trials qualifying standard or make sure they smash their BQ or whatever. So, uh, super cool. I'm just bummed you didn't get to see your family, but you know, being, being from the NASCAR belt, man, you know, with Raleigh in North Carolina, man, what we need is we need wireless headsets. We need people talking to <laughs> us out there, man. We need the pit crew telling us, yeah. we need Mackett on the headset telling us, Hey dude, you're, you're in a hundredth place in your age group. You're moving up on the field, man. It's time to go, brother. It's time to go hit the Hills, man. And, uh, we'll get you, we'll get you a tire change at the next pit stop. You know, that's what we need, man. We need somebody on a headset telling us where we are. You're, you're in 50th place in your age group. You're moving up. Let's go, Jeremy. Fucking turn the dials. Let's go, man. It's time to <laughs> it's time to grind. Let's go. I mean, that's I gotta think, man, five, ten years from now, it's gotta, it's gotta happen, man. Everything if we can track each other and do all this other stuff. How hard could it be, you know, through an app or something like that to allow? I mean, obviously people can message us and give us like, uh, what do they call them? Cheer cards that had all this stuff going on. There's got to be some way, although our phones would probably like, you know, melt or, you know, die like 10 miles into the run. That would be the only thing, right? Right. Yeah. We'll work on that, man. That's your, that's your NASCAR. That's your NASCAR tech, man. You're, You're a car guy and you're the NASCAR guy. So, um, I always ask every guest, um, darkest moment, you know, toughest moment you've ever had. Doesn't have to be in running, can be in your personal life, can be from running, can be from within a race, whatever, just like darkest moment, toughest moment, and, you know, how you made it through to the other side. Well, I haven't had a lot of dark moments in my life. Um, Fortunately, I've been pretty blessed, um, pretty fortunate in my life, but um, I did lose my brother-in-law to COVID um, back in early 2021. Um, It was a difficult time. It's still been difficult on our family. Um, so we've, we've done a lot in his memory and, and to remember him since, since he passed. Um, in fact, his, his wife, my sister-in-law and his daughter, um, were part of our, our contingent that came to Boston this weekend. So they were able to have a great time and just experience Boston together. It's, it's, uh, my niece's birthday this weekend. So, um, it was just a great time for them to, to experience something different. Um, uh, of course, again, we've, we've been touched by COVID as many families have. Um, I had COVID, my wife had COVID, my wife spent about six days in the ICU with COVID, almost lost her life to it. And still dealing with some of the complications from when she had it. But, um, you know, we, we fight, we've fought through that. Um, I was able to actually run 2020, yeah, 2020 was, a uh, was a difficult time with, uh, with, uh, COVID. Um, I got COVID in October. I ran the virtual Boston in September, got COVID in October, and less than uh, four weeks later, I did a virtual New York City at the end of October. So that was pretty cool um, to be able to run a marathon, run two marathons with COVID in between. So it wasn't the easiest thing, but it was a lot of fun. Wow. Well, really sorry about your brother-in-law. That's that's an awful thing for the family to endure. And 
Um, I'm glad that that part of the, your family was able to at least come up to Boston and be part of your experience. And, you know, hopefully being, them being around the rest of the family is good for them. Um, just to be connected and stay connected with all of you and look out for each other. And obviously your wife had a really rough go of it being in ICU for that many days. Obviously that had to be touch and go, but thankfully uh, she came through. Okay. You came through. Okay. And uh, hopefully all of us are going to be able to, you know, kind of put this, this crazy chapter behind us. Um, Maybe that it's never going to be something we don't ever talk about again. It's probably going to be something we're continually going to have to get updates on medically or treatments for, or maybe newer vaccines or whatever um, to kind of keep this at bay. But hopefully we are back to living the lives that we're used to living, you know, being able to go on planes without masks and, you know, race outdoor activities and indoor activities and not be so fearful um, that we're going to get each other sick and, you know, have to have to worry about family members, health, et cetera, right? Yep, definitely. So um, the last segment I always close out every guest with is always uh, community service. And, um, you know, the whole premise of this, Jeremy, why I wanted to get this going was, you know, when I did the 10 marathons in 10 weeks for healthcare workers was kind of the first phase of me not doing virtual runs, stuff like that, because I work in healthcare and it just hit me personally so deeply um, seeing nurses and doctors that I knew like suffering from PTSD. And I had Sam Recker on last week, who, by the way, ran a 248 marathon in scrubs. How completely crazy is that? And raised, uh, she had a goal of raising 26,000. I think she's way over 40,000. Um, and then re- ended up running the 60 miles for ribs. So, I mean, those are just some things that I've done. And it's not about me. Um, the reason I have this last segment is really to just get people thinking, even if they haven't done anything yet, that they, they've really hit their stride with um, or really been able to do something that is really meaningful to them because you have to find something meaningful for you. It has to be something that says, this is something I want to do in my community. So if you haven't at, yet at this point, um, what are some things you think you might be able to do within your community? Obviously, you're raised by uh, teachers, you know, a mom and dad. Um, running is near and dear to your heart and something that's super important to you. What are some things you think you might be able to do, like within the community, to help others out? Yeah, it was definitely cool. Like you said, you mentioned Sam. I was able to see her in the race, um, actually, Monday. So ran a couple of miles with her right there uh near me and actually i was looking at my finisher pictures today and she's right there in all my finisher pictures so that was really cool to see her running in the scrubs so um again pretty awesome to see people like that doing some cool stuff like that actually past shalane uh running with the lady who who was one of the bombing victims so um really cool but um i want to eventually um translate some of my running into um raising some funds with some charities that are near and dear to my heart um, obviously the, the diabetes, my wife is type one diabetic has struggled with it for years. Um, want to work with the American diabetic association. Um, I lost one, one of my nearest and dearest friends who I worked side by side with for over 16 years, um, grew up with, he died to, um, leukemia lymphoma. So we do some things now with the leukemia lymphoma society where we do a walk, um, every year with that. His wife has, does a great job. His, his, um, his widow actually does a great job um, raising money for them in his honor. So we participate in that walk with her every year, um, and raise some funds for that. So, um, eventually I want to be able to do more and more with my running to be able to help others out. Um, because I feel like I've been given a gift that can kind of, you know, in a lot of ways can help others out in some way. So, and obviously I'll be looking to you in a lot of those ways to be able to help me with, I know you've had next to so many charities. So, 
I love it. I love the idea of where your head is at and where you're thinking. Um, I've had so many female guests on who are involved with coaching girls on the run, which is just a huge organization. So it's interesting that there isn't a boys on the run. You know, I'm not, you know, trying to compare boys versus girls at all. It's just that so many of my female guests who are strong women, strong mom influencers are, you know, coaching in their communities with girls on the run to help them with their self-esteem and confidence. Um, you know, at young ages, when when younger girls tend to kind of struggle a little bit with that, with image and body image and stuff like that, it's a wonderful give back. So, hey, anytime, any ideas you want to talk about, bounce them off me. You come up with anything, you know, you have my Run Chats and Run Runs NYC channels to help promote it. I certainly would come down uh, if it was any kind of event um, within a school um, for a church or anything to try to create some sort of running program for kids to get kids involved with running. Um, I just think it's important stuff and anything we can do um, to get ourselves thinking about doing more in the way of giving back is going to make the world a better place. So that's why I always like try to make that um, our last focus of the segment. And then I always give it back to the guest before we roll out because we've covered a lot and uh, it's been exciting to hear the remarkable progress you made in eight years, brother. I mean, to get to 247 in Boston in eight years from, from a couch to 5k, you know, program, you know, it's remarkable. Uh, and I'm just so stoked uh, and excited to see where you're going to go from here. I think you know, many, many, many more big things are in your future, uh, working together with Steve. And I think you're going to continue to smash huge running goals. But is there anything we didn't get to touch on, any topic we didn't get to talk about, or anything that's big for you or top of mind that's coming up that you want to just, uh, you know, throw out there and uh, discuss before we roll out? I don't think so. I guess just kind of to wrap it up, I would say I'm grateful for what running has brought to my life. For uh, most importantly, the people that it's brought to my life, the 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 network of people. I mean, I've gotten to be cool people like you, like all of our many friends, and and it's just it's a community I was never I never knew was there. So we now have this network of friends all over um, that we get to come to these races, spend time together, get to hang out together, um, and so I'm so grateful and thankful that not only do we get to do that, we get to talk to each other every day, whether it be through text or through Strava connections or through Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Um, I'm just so thankful for the running community, for the love they've given me and for how much I love everyone in my running community. So beautifully said, brother, it's all about community, man. That's what the power of our sport is and what makes it so unique that we can hang out with you know, Elliot Kipchoge and Bill Rogers and Joan Benoit Samuelson and all the great runners that came before us. And, you know, somebody in your community in North Carolina is going to go, hey, that's that guy, Jeremy, who's really fast, who ran the Boston Marathon at a crazy fast time. Like, that's what motivates people. Hopefully somebody's going to hear your story today and say, wow, in only eight years, look at what this guy's doing in running. Look at how much progress he's made because he's willing to put the hard work in and really get after it. So that's what it's really all about. So I appreciate you so much coming on and sharing your awesome story, brother. And what we tell everybody at the end of every episode to keep lacing them up, to keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow. I really enjoyed this chat with JB. Um, he's a great guy. He's just someone who's so easy to root for. Wonderful personality. Uh, just a huge, huge lover of the running community and someone who just puts out a lot of positive energy, a total grinder, 
And you know, uh, anybody who follows my show knows I have mad respect for grinders, for the people who like to do the hard work and they take it on. The tough workouts that Sisson throws his way, he rolls up in sleeves and gets after it. Um, and I just love the energy he shares on Strava, Instagram, Facebook, and within the running community and also uh, getting to spend some time with him up there around the streets of Boston before and after the race was super fun. And I'm just so stoked that he's had this massive buildup over his eight-year journey, not being able to run 30 seconds, building up to 10 minutes of running to, you know, basically rocking a 247 on the hollowed grounds of, of Boston, on the streets of Boston. So what, uh, what an epic climb for him and his journey and just can't wait to see where things go for him next as he continues to build and get stronger and uh, take on more challenges and, and just take it from there. So uh, I hope you all enjoy this one as much as we did. It's such a fun convo. Take a moment if you can, write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get new listeners to Run Chat's program. It most certainly helps me get guests like Jeremy to come on and share their inspiring stories. So it really helps us out on both ends of the spectrum. And we want to just keep building a positive community, just keep building this thing out further and further and tell more uh, great runners like Jeremy's inspiring stories to get you motivated to keep lacing them up, to keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight, my friends. Peace out. <laughs>